So once again, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. If you are, I want to say just a few things, kind of a few few things about moms. If you're a mom in this place, uh, just know that just not, not just today, I know sometimes it's just like, oh, we think about just today, but not just today, you're heroes to us all. You're heroes, you're heroes to us all every single day. Not just today, but every day. You give everything. Like, it's, you give everything so that your children can even exist, so that uh, they can live, so that they can thrive, so they can experience love, and they can experience hope, and they can experience nurturing. And it's the sacrifices of a mother are often the most overlooked of them all. And honestly, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. Um, a lot of times we just, we don't, we overlook the, the amount that you give up, uh, the amount that you serve, the amount that you don't even, you just put your own well-being aside for the sake of another. And it's just, thank you. Thank you for, for doing that. And I think it's one of the most consistent uh, Jesus-like acts imaginable. Um, and, and I'm sure that I'm going to miss some in here because there's a lot of different categories. But I want to give a special shout out, of course, to all the moms in this place, all of the women who are raising children. Uh, whether they're biological children or whether you've adopted children or whether you're fostering children or you've done that in the past. Thank you to everybody who's ever stepped out and taken that on. Uh, thank you to anybody here who's taken in people and whether you're a mother or not, maybe you've taken in somebody or loved somebody and you've just been a mother to them. There's a lot of people who don't have um, a, a home like that and, and a lot of people who welcome others into it. You know, some people who, who can't have children, they've still... They've still been moms. And if that's you in this place today, thank you. Um, thank you. Um, I, I, I have a mom, and she, she's absolutely fantastic. And, and, and she, I, I love her so much. She's done an amazing job. I have a fantastic wife who's doing an amazing job raising our children. There's nobody I can even imagine trying to raise these kids with besides her. But in my life over the years, I've also been blessed with a lot of, uh, of, a lot of like, spiritual moms and a lot of other uh, figures like moms of friends and people who took us in while we were traveling and stuff. And so even though I'm part of, I believe, the absolute best family, I, I feel like I'm a part of many families. And uh, for that, I, I feel incredibly blessed. And um, then lastly, oh, and also if you're, if you're, if you're a stepmom in this place, um, thank you too. That's another huge, huge huge thing, and people who treat kids who um, aren't their biological kids, but they treat them as their own, that you're changing the world. And then the last thing I just want to say about, about this day is, I know that for some people, this is a kind of a difficult day. I know, um, I, I know on Facebook today, my dad posted a picture of, um, of his mom, and he said that it's been 40 years since he's been able to tell her Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Pastor Chili posted something similar. He said it's been two years since he's been able to say Happy Mother's Day to his mom. I know for some people, for various reasons, it's a difficult day. One of them being your mom may not be here anymore. Um, I I also know that some people, uh, that experience never was a very good one. And so it makes today kind of have hard, not be a good day for you. And then others who have been moms and maybe you're on the tail end of it and, and maybe you feel like you have a lot of regrets about the way you did it. And also maybe today's kind of a more challenging day for you. And if, if any of those things are you in this place today, we just want to say that we love you. And we want to say that we, we believe in you. Uh, we're here for you. And we, we really genuinely believe that your best days are ahead of you. Yeah, they, they really are. We believe that with all of our hearts. So 
I was really racking my brain this week. Uh, we've been doing this series just going through 1 John, through the, uh, the first letter of John. We're actually doing all three letters, but right now we're in 1 John. And if we were to have moved on ahead to the passage that we're supposed to be on, we'd be on the section about the Antichrists. And I'm like, Jesus, why did you do this to me? He did this to me two years ago on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. It was lust. If we would have done the, the proper sermon on Mother's Day, we would have been talking about lust. Uh, then last year during Ephesians, it, it was the line that says, you're dead in your sins. Uh, you're following the prince of the power of the air, uh, who's at work in the sons of disobedience. And we, we actually did try to do that one on Mother's Day, but we didn't do lust uh, before that. But we attempted that one. And then, um, um, but and so I'm cracking my brain about this. I don't want to talk about the Antichrist on Mother's Day. But as I was thinking about last week's message, and I don't normally do this, but we, last week we covered a very short passage. And uh, I really felt like this week, even though it's not going to be the same message, it won't be, but I, I feel like we need to look at that same passage again. Um, and again, I don't do that very often, but there's an idea that's loaded in these scriptures, in these three verses, that is very, very powerful. And we, we did introduce it last week, so some of it might be a little bit repetitive in that way. But if you missed last week uh, because of the parade, I know that made it hard for people to get here and, uh, or whatever, uh, Go back, or you're in the parade, a lot of us were in the parade, but go back and listen to the podcast and stay caught up because I think that would be really, really, uh, really good for you to be caught up on this. But I just want to piggyback off of that main idea that we were on last week and kind of do it in a little bit different way. Uh, and I'm going to also try to keep it really simple today and get you out of here with enough time to go have a nice lunch with your mom. So let's all open our Bibles together to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Okay. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, which desires is also the word lust, so I, but I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not doing lust on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much uh, for moms. Lord, thank you, Father God, for uh, the ultimate sacrifice that you made when you laid down your life, Father God, as the greatest example we could ever be, Lord. And I don't think that there's very many flesh and blood examples of the way you laid down your life better than that that a mother and the love that she has for a child, God. And I thank you, Lord, for that divine love, that love that just encapsulates just the grace of God. I pray a blessing over every mother in this place, every person in this place who's ever mentored or taken on anybody or just did anything along those lines, God. And Father God, we pray for comfort and for peace and healing for people who are struggling with today. Holy Spirit, I pray in, during this message and this time of just talking about your word, Lord, that you would speak through me. That everything that you would have me to say, I would say that, and I would only say that, and let everything else just fall to the ground, let it fall away before it ever even comes out of my mouth. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there is just a couple more takeaways from this passage that I really want to make sure we cover, in, um, cover this morning, and then we can get into Antichrist next week. One thing that may be confusing, uh, which we did not mention last week, is some people think it's kind of weird that John starts by saying, do not love the the world, or the things in this world. But John, in his gospel, the most famous verse you ever, everybody knows about, John says, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. So in one place he says he loves the world so much that he gave everything for this thing. But yet in another he says don't love the world. And I think that it's very significant that we, that we kind of wrestle with that and figure out what is the Bible trying to tell us here? Why does it say to both love the world and hate the world? Well, the word world is the word cosmos, the Greek word cosmos. In, in, the, in, in the same way that today the word world does have more than one meaning, you know, like today you could say, everybody knows that worldliness is different than the world as in the world that we walk in, the world that we live in, uh, or the communities that we have. In that same way, cosmos has actually several Greek meanings to it. One of them is just the earth. The circle of the earth or the earth, right? Uh, another actually means the inhabitants of the earth, men, the human family. In other words, people, right? People could be considered cosmos, the word, the, the word, um, the word world. And this is a very common use of it uh, biblically. In another instance, it means the affairs of the world or the world's affairs. And then we have this, myth, this, this one. Uh, it's number six on this list. It says the ungodly multitude. The whole mass of men who are alienated from God and therefore are hostile to the cause of Christ. Now this particular meaning to me would not be what John is saying in 1 John uh, either. Though some people may argue that it is. Like I, don't, I, I understand John saying, well you can't get on board with the people who are hostile to the cause of Christ. But to say not to love them, I think that would be an anti-gospel. I think that would be more like an anti-Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. Now, when I read John 3, 16, I think you could easily apply this verse. For God so loved the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God, therefore, therefore hostile to the cause of Christ, that he sent his only begotten son for them. If you believe that, that, Jesus, was, that Jesus died for the people who were killing him, which is it, the people who Jesus was laying down his life for the very people who were putting him on that cross. And if you believe that, then of course you realize that this definition fits. Jesus Christ died for people who are hostile to the cause of Christ. And because of that, whoever of them shall believe in him will not be condemned. But they're rather going to have spent eternity with Jesus. Um, more broadly, you could even just use this, this definition here. People, for God so loved people that he gave his only son. So as you can see, first, or in John 3.16, a lot of these would fit. You could kind of put them in and it would make sense. But it's not like that with 1 John 2.15. But if I were to have to put my finger on what I believe is most likely the way that John's using this word, I believe it would be the one right here, word of world affairs. And especially when you get to this sub, this sub kind of definition of this. This is fascinating. It says this, the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, Riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, they stir desire, they seduce from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. And just so you guys know, I got this, I took all this from Blue Letter Bible. This is a website that you all can have. Every now and then, you, get, you probably pulled up right there, right? Um, well, the reason, we, we, we study a lot with like Logos and we read commentaries and stuff that we, that we don't have access like this to. But every now and then I like to show you this because you have access to this. You could go on your computer right now and you could do this exact same research. You could find this for yourself. It's all free. It's a free website. So you can do that on your own. And I just, every now and then I like to just, because I want to encourage you to do that. Study the word of God for yourself. Um, but I do feel like, First John 2.15 would actually be a lot more sen- would make a lot more sense if, you would, if we could have just inserted this. Like you can see, these words are so loaded, right? Do not love 
the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which although hollow and frail and fleeting, they stir desire, they seduce from God, and they are obstacles to the cause of Christ. Now that is a mouthful, but it's really a mouthful of clarity, isn't it? It makes it very, very clear. And, and as I was studying this this week, and I, I read this over and over, the word that really stuck out to me most in this definition, believe it or not, is the word circle. At our kids' school, uh, the, little, the little kids, they, they, every morning they get in a circle before the day starts and they sing this song. Uh, and they circle around singing this song. And, and it, it talks about how a circle is round and a circle never ends. Things that are... That there are things in life that circle, right? We know that, um, that are good things. There are things that if we could create, that you create patterns in your life that become routines and they circle and they don't end and they're good things, right? We've, we, in that song, that song's about friendship. Friendship is a good thing. If you can, friendships that never end, that's a good thing. Uh, we've talked several times in here about something we like to call the, uh, the circle of mercy, which we base on the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, well, blessed are the merciful, because if you're merciful towards somebody else, you will be shown mercy. And so we said, if we can create a culture that understands this beatitude, the fifth beatitude, then what we have is a circle of mercy, a bunch of people who are giving mercy, and then they're receiving mercy, and they're giving mercy, and they're receiving mercy. Mercy is one of those things that Jesus says it will always circle back to us. We also have a saying around here that says, love, serve, repeat, which is a circle of justice. Something that we want to train ourselves to do so that we just keep doing it over and over and over again till we've made the right thing the most consistent thing in our lives. There's enormous power in healthy routines, like making a lifestyle out of justice or making a lifestyle out of mercy. But what we learn from this passage is there is also a whole world of circles, a whole circle of earthly things. And just like the definition says, they're hollow, they're frail, they're fleeting, they're distracting us, they're trying to seduce us away from God and to put obstacles in our path that distract us from following Jesus. And this is kind of part of why I felt like I needed to do this verse again today is because I needed to frame that part for you. We introduced this thought last week, but it says in verse 15, it says, don't love the world. But then in verse 17, it says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there are, there is a world which absolutely is passing away. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it's not going to be here forever. We know that. And there's another world which is not passing away. We know that. Yet, for some reason, So many of us live our lives for the world which is passing away at the expense of the cause of Christ, at the expense of the world that we know is not going anywhere ever, on the expense of of the eternal things. And the reason that this is so dangerous is it's a circle. It never ends. Once you taste, you're going to always want more and more and more. The world will never satisfy you, but it will always leave you thirsty for more. Proverbs says the eyes of man are never satisfied. Death and destruction are never full, so therefore the eyes of man, they're never satisfied. 
You, you get this picture in Genesis 4, and, and, I, and I think it kind of gives us this idea of how we're kind of seduced into this, right? In Genesis 4, you get uh, Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel. And God can, you know, he knows what, what Cain's thinking. He knows what's going on. He knows he's thinking about killing his brother. And so this is what God says to Cain. He says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. He says, its desire is to rule over you, or its desire is contrary to you, but you need to rule over that desire. See, there's this desire in you that is trying to take over. And if you give into it, it's going to put you on the circle that's very, very hard to get off. But it's crouching. The reason that this is crouching is because what sin wants to do, what the devil wants to do, is he wants to make it feel small. So we're thinking, so, so here to, to Cain, he's like, sin is crouching. It's there. You can barely even realize that it's anything. It's very insignificant, but this is what he does, right? In, in your life, sin is going to be crouching. The temptation to give over to this world is going to be tempting. It's, it's, we talked about last week how it's, look, it's going, to be things, it's going to be things that are very easy to justify. Like we talked about last week about how um, a lot of people, they, they give up Lots and lots and lots, and they put all their eggs in this basket of work, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they justify it as I'm doing this to take care of my family, but in the end, they realize that they lost their family to it, because they gave all of it to their family, and they gave their family nothing, but they justified it, saying, I'm taking care of my family. Sin was crouching at the door. You must rule over it and not get caught in it, but you have to be able to distinguish first. The difference between the things that are going to last forever and the things that won't last at all. Cain, he could not distinguish that. He, he killed his brother because he didn't value, he didn't realize the value of another human being. So he killed his brother so he could basically feel good about himself. And that brings me back to moms. <laughs> You're probably like, what in the world? I don't really even know what I'm thinking either. But, here, but this is, this. hang with me. When you have a child, okay, and you hold that child in your arms, suddenly you are now in the presence of somebody who is going to steal your heart right away. They've stolen it. Somebody who you will now willingly shift all of your energy toward taking care of them. Happily shift your energy towards taking care of them. Because there are things in life that you can throw away. And even if you don't throw it away, they're going to be broken in a couple of years anyway. And then there are things in life that are eternal. And the eternal things are the circles that are worth getting on. And every once in a while in life, God gives us something that makes that distinction just so incredibly obvious. As to what things are worth giving our lives to, because they're eternal, and what we can throw away tomorrow, and we're ultimately going to be no worse off from losing it. And when you hold a child in your arms, that's one of those things you realize, right? This becomes very, very easy to know what matters more, when it's kids or it's TVs, when it's kids or it's cars. Just like I said last week, last, last week, a little over a week ago, I totaled our van. And I felt very fortunate walking away from that scene because I had all four of my children with me and they all walked out with me, even though we were hit directly. So it's very easy for me to distinguish between the car, which is going to pass away anyway, it was probably going to die in a year or two or a month or two or a day or two anyway, 
and the things that are eternal. One thing that I've noticed about my wife in particular, um, who of course is the mother to my four children, something that stood out behind, beyond anything that I could ever even put into words is the way that she really, she doesn't let her life, and she has a very busy life, she doesn't let that put up walls between her and the kids. She's doing this master's degree. It's this insane program. We're going to... Um, we're going to be bringing the director of that program out in July to do a, a teaching. And w- after you're done hearing this guy teach, you're going to be like, okay, now I know what she's up against because she has to navigate this all the time. It's an insanely busy program. It's so intense. It's so much reading. It's so much writing. She has to get out our calendar on, on our phone. I get these notifications all the time on our phone of her blocking off entire days where she's like, you, you need to just give me this day to study because I'm just, I have to study. I have to study. And so she'll, she figures out, how, how am I going to get through these 2,000 pages I got to read this month and I got to write however many pages. And so she'll map it all out, put it on the calendar, and then we have to do our very best to stick to it. And it's like hard deadlines. Like if I miss one of these days, I'm in big trouble. She also pastors the church, so she has a lot to do. But then the kids will need her, and I will need her, and life will come, and what she will do, and she's done this every single time, is she'll set it aside in order to have a conversation with one of our children. She'll set it aside in order to sit down for a meal with our family. She'll set it aside in order to help me get the kids out of the house into school in the morning to make sure that everybody's okay if, if we seem like we're overwhelmed by something, whatever it might be. I get overwhelmed, she sets it aside for me. She plans all these birthday parties and she makes sure that there's birthday cakes and there's pinatas and there's decorations. And she does it, she goes very, very elaborate. She tries to really create memories for these kids, even though she should be studying and she knows I should be studying. She really, really wants to make these kids feel loved. Um, we, we're trying to send Millie, or we're going to send Millie, but Millie's trying to raise money to go to summer camp this year. And, and on a study day, I remember it was blocked off, but Millie was talking about, how am I going to raise all this money for summer camp? And so Dawn goes to Aldi, and she buys these boxes of popsicles for like two bucks. And don't steal her idea, at least don't do it in our neighborhood, right? So she sells them for, she buys it for two bucks, and then, and then Millie and the other kids, they all go around the neighborhood, and they sell these for a dollar apiece, to raise money for summer camp. You can still do this in Detroit. I mean, maybe you shouldn't do this in Detroit, but you can still do this in Detroit, right? And, I, and then, so there's Millie with it. Then, then, of course, Brooklyn season, she gets on board and she's making bank, uh, but she's doing, it, she's doing it for Millie, right? So I love the way that, like, if one kid gets really, really excited about something, then the other two kids get really, really excited about it too. But she did this on a study day. And that may seem insignificant to you, but what that means for her is this. It means that at night, after the last kid goes to bed, after I'm snuggled up in bed, she sits down and begins reading. She sits down and begins to do the work. Because even the things that seem important to us, like going to Bible school, like theology, like studying the Bible, like learning how to better teach the Bible, I believe those things fall short in comparison to what it means to actually live a life that demonstrates the Bible, live a life that actually demonstrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've been really convicted about this lately. As a person who, I study the Bible a lot. See, we can learn about the Bible and that's very, very important. But don't be so busy learning the Bible that you forget to live it. 
There's a way to be right about the Bible, as in you get the facts right. Maybe even you follow the rules, the rules that are like, this is a matter of fact, this is what you're supposed to do. There's a way to be right about the Bible, and then there is a way to get the Bible right. As in you figure out what this actually looks like in my life. Jesus says, this is how you fulfill the law. You love God. You love people. You love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, John, he really beats this concept into the ground here in this letter. Because knowing something is very different from actually doing something. And doing something just because you're supposed to do something, even though it hasn't actually transformed your life, that's really not that much better. Yet I feel like so many people, when it comes to the things of Jesus, we live our whole lives trying to keep a rule that, quite frankly, we would almost certainly keep anyway if we were in a relationship with Jesus. If, we, if, the, if the love of Christ were actually in us, we would want to keep these rules. An example is Matthew 9. I love this passage on Matthew 9. I talk about it a lot. I write about it all the time. Matthew 9 is when Jesus is uh, eating uh, dinner at Matthew the tax collector's house. He's having, he's, they're having dinner together with all these, these, these tax collectors and these sinners. And the Pharisees, they get so mad at Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? And he says some amazing things. But one thing that he does is he quotes Hosea. And he says, this, he, he says I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And this is kind of what he means by that, and we could do a whole sermon just on this one passage, and we're not going to do that today. But what he's saying, I believe, is that he's saying he would rather have people who are willing to view the world, not for what it can get them for themselves, but rather for what somebody else needs. I mean, is that not what he was doing with Matthew and the tax collectors? See, you can learn to live your life in a way that views the world through the eyes of what other people need, through the eyes of the people who you're in community with and what those people need. And if you can learn to get that view that shows you what they need and then you actually act on it, that's really what mercy is all about. You could say it this way. You could say mercy, and this is just my kind of loose definition, means that you do not give somebody what they deserve. We all know that. But instead, you give them what they actually need. And Jesus says, I would rather have merciful people than a bunch of people who give up all these things that in their hearts they want to be doing anyway. Thinking that whatever it is that they're giving up is actually going to bring them closer to God. That's what the Pharisees were doing. and that's the di- See, mercy and sacrifice in a lot of ways are very similar. But th- this is the difference, okay? What the Pharisees were doing is they were giving up stuff not because their lives were transformed by the gospel, but because they, and not because they wanted to please God. They gave it up because it's what they thought it would take to earn it. Sacrifice may be a result of being right about the Bible. The Bible says not to, so I don't. And that can be a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not an end thing. But mercy is actually getting the Bible right. It's asking this question, how do I actually fulfill what this is saying? Not just learn about it and kind of blindly try to apply it to my life while I'm suffering through it the entire time. How do I actually fulfill this in such a way that when people see my life, they see a reflection of something that shows them Jesus? Something that's pure, something that's lovely and desirable. How do I fulfill this in a way that other people will encounter the living God through my life? And I say all that to say this. See, when my wife pushes aside her studies 
And she pushes aside her deadlines. And she takes that moment to just get eye level with our kids and just make sure that they're okay and make sure that they're heard and to hear what is bothering them and listen to what's frustrating them. And when she puts her arm around them and tells them it's going to be okay, and she lets them know that she's there for them, she's not just sacrificing. She's actually showing mercy with no regard for what it would cost her. And when she walks away from her desk and she puts on that old paint shirt and she goes down to the table and she paints with the kids knowing that her timelines are closing in on her and that she should be studying, she is getting the Bible right. Not just being right about the Bible. Now I would just hate to um, get to the end of my life, right? I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I study a lot. And I would hate to get to the end of my life and get to heaven and then be able to quote for God, it was, God, here's the 613 laws in the Torah, which I can't quote, by the way. And I could be like, God, here's the Ten Commandments. God, here's the Sermon on the Mount. God, here's what Paul said about the gifts of the Spirit. He's, here's Galatians when he gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and here's what they are. God, I know a lot of really cool Hebrew word pictures. And I, I would just hate to get there, and then God just be like, you know, that's all cool, and fine and stuff. It's not bad. But there's a reason that I took all of that and I condensed it into just two simple commandments for you. Love God and love people. Because a lot more important than learning it is living it. And the way you live it is to love God and love people. And so this line in verse 17, this, this line that we're focusing on, when, when John uh, asks people, when John talks about people who give up the eternal things for the temporal things that suck us in and they leave us empty, Man, this has been wrecking me lately. He's like, you're giving up an eternity for a circle of emptiness. A circle of things that are just going to drain your life and leave you empty, right? It wrecked me last week when I thought about that car accident that I was in. And how we totaled our van and yet our kids walked away without an injury at all. And I thought about it this week and it wrecked me this week when I thought about my wife. And I think about my mom. And I think about all the sacrifices that so many people have chosen to make on behalf of me and on behalf of other people, not so that it will eventually come back on them and they will get something, because that's sacrifice, but because it's what somebody else needs, and that's mercy. And I realized as I was studying about this and I was praying on this, I realized, man, some people just get it. And I think, I think most moms get it. I know sometimes it's frustrating I know, especially for you, you younger parents in here, I, I, I know, I know. Sometimes it feels like the chaos is never going to stop. It feels like the crying is never going to stop. The temper tantrums, they're never going to stop. But any person who's on the other side of that season will tell you that you're going to blink and it's going to be over. And you're going to be wondering, where did the time go? When did you grow up. And truthfully, I'm okay with this. This is unavoidable. Life is going to move fast. You have kids, you blink, they're 18. Blink again, they're married. You blink again, you're a grandpa. I get that. It looks worse than that in work. You get a new job. You blink, you're there 15 years. Wow, where did the time go? That's life, and that's okay. But the scary reality is that life moves so fast that if we're not careful and if we let it, it will go right on by us without us. 
And I, I know for me, I don't mind asking these questions. I don't mind asking where the time went. But the question I don't ever want to ever have to ask is this. Where was I? Where was I when my children were growing up? Where was I when my friend was struggling with depression? Where was I when that couple was struggling in their marriage and they just needed somebody to come alongside of them and to let them know, yes, I know the struggle is real. Yes, we've been there too, but you can do it. You can make it. It's going to be okay. Where was I when my wife wanted to quit and just needed to be reminded, you can do it. We're going to make it. Where was I? Was I writing a sermon? Was I studying the Bible? Was I drinking coffee somewhere? Or was I there in the struggle? Was I at the kids' sports games? Was I home for dinner with them? Was I available for them? And that applies across the board. I know you don't all have kids, and that's fine. Kids, no kids, it doesn't matter. Life is going to go quickly. But where and how you choose to spend your attention and your energy will have a profound impact on other people's eternities. And I can't say this enough, guys. There is a world that is passing away. And there is a world that abides forever. We know this. And no matter who you are in this place today, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a daughter, you're a son, you're a grandpa, you're a grandma, you're a mentor, you're a friend, you're a teacher, you're a student, you're a boss, you're an employee, whoever you are, wherever you are, I urge you, do not waste your life chasing a world that is guaranteed to expire. When right in front of you is a world that needs you. Don't chase stuff and leave people behind. Don't chase applause, but leave community behind. Don't chase a career and justify it with this intention that I'm providing a good life for my family while you leave your family behind. Because it's a circle, which means once you're on it, if you don't get off, you will never be fulfilled. It's hollow, it's frail, and it's fleeting. But it's oh so enticing. And it's oh so desirable. I think John knew that. That's why he wrote us this, to show us something better. We said this last week, right? We talked about how the Greek of that last line says that there is a life, there's a way you can live your life now that will continue on into an unbroken age. We live in a broken world, but we can live in such a way that our lives will continue on into an unbroken age. Guys, our world is so broken. But there are investments that you can make kingdom investments, investments into people, investments which our return on investment is so good, it's going to go forever, and it's going to keep on returning forever and ever. I do not just want to be right about the Bible. I want to get the Bible right in my life. I want to get the Bible right in my relationships. I want to get the Bible right in my marriage. I want to make my life about the things that are eternal. I want to make my life about the things that will last. And in closing, I just want to say this. I don't know if it's discouraged moms, encouraged moms, happy people, whatever it might be, struggles. I know it's real. But you can do it. 
You can do it. The world is broken. But you and I are created for an unbroken age. And you can do it. When it feels hard, when you're overwhelmed, when you don't know where that grace is going to come from, it will come. And you can do it. You're investing into an unbroken age and there's nothing more valuable. Guys, people matter. No matter if you're a biological mother, if you're a mentor, if you're just a friend to somebody, never stop loving. Never stop serving people. There is no greater investment into the kingdom of heaven than what you pour into people and what you invest into people and the way that you love people. And you can do it.